is abortion health care and are abortion clinics helping women or are they only out for the money? I'm Mark Harrington and you're listening to Activist Radio on the Mark Harrington Show. Mark Harrington Show is brought to you by Created Equal, and you can support our work by going to createdequal.org. And the program is also broadcast on American Family Radio, terrestrial radio that is, all across America on 180 stations. You can pick up that on AFR.net. You can find out where we're broadcast over the air. And also, of course, we are available on all my social media platforms and podcasting platforms. And if you would, give us a a like and a share and uh, let other people know about it. Subscribe to the program as well on YouTube. So today, my guest is Carol Everett. And uh, Carol was, I'm sorry, a co-owner of a franchise abortion clinic in Dallas, Texas, And I got to know Carol actually through her book, which is entitled Blood Money. And uh, I read it way back in the day and when I began in this work in the 1990s. And it had a lot to do with why I'm doing what I'm doing. I mean, it, it shed a whole lot of light on the abortion industry and what it was all about. And so Carol was an insider. She uh, was a co-owner of abortion clinics. And and since then has uh, obviously renounced that and come to faith in Jesus Christ and is also leading a ministry called the Heidi Group. So, Carol, thanks for being on the program today. Thank you for inviting me, Mark. So, Carol, I you know, it's funny, we've never met, but I read your book way back in the day when I started out in this work because it was really as far as I can tell, probably the best book that's ever been written about what goes on inside abortion centers, being a co-owner of the of an abortion center there in um, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, it was an insider's look. And so what I want to do, I'm going to take some of the uh, program, at least the first half of it, talking about uh, your history. I mean, how you got into this, why it is you owned and operated abortion centers in Texas. So if we could go back into time, if you would, just explain to us what it is that led you to, um, you know, selling abortions and running an abortion center. It was from the pain of my own abortion. I was justifying my own pain, my own sin, um, my own loss from taking the life of my child by abortion. And every time I sold another woman an abortion in some very sick, twisted way, if she was okay, I was okay. And I evolved in quite easily, but then it became something else. I saw the financial side, the money, and I saw the way to become a millionaire by selling abortions to other women. I didn't draw a salary. I worked on a straight commission, $25 for each abortion. And many in the abortionists work on a straight commission and many mm-hmm. others in the abortion industry work on a straight commission. And, you know, the last month we did 545 abortions. My income was $16,625 or something. And I plan to become a millionaire selling abortions. Well, Carol, you know, that's, uh, you know, it's funny because we, it's not funny, sorry. We run into people all the time on the streets and college campuses, and they often justify abortion, the ones that justify abortion, 
And the ones that work for Planned Parenthood or volunteer for Planned Parenthood, uh, often they're doing the same thing you were doing. And that is they're trying to deal with or cope with the fact that they had an abortion in their past. And they do this, they compensate by it, by trying to get others to agree with them and do what they did. It makes them feel better about it. Is that what the main motivation was for you? Yes, it was. But I will say this. I don't believe there's anyone working in an abortion clinic that does not come there out of some pain. Mm-hmm. It may be incest. It may be rape. It may be abortion. But they're there because they're justifying something in their own lives. Some deep, deep pain. And um, I look at it as a place of great hurt. Yeah. You know, those abortion clinics are filled with employees who are hurting mm-hmm. and justifying their own pain every day. Yeah. You know, like I say, we, we, we deal with these uh, individuals on college campuses and out on the streets all the time. And often it is because of their past abortion. Uh, you know, many people have characterized these individuals as being ideologically pro-choice. I mean, this is they're, they're driven by their desire to uh, provide women health care, so to speak, and to allow them the freedom to choose an abortion. Do you feel like that's more the case than it is those who are just dealing with the pain or is it a combination of both? It's a combination. We know abortion is not health care, first of all. Right. It's murder, but um, mm-hmm. it's a combination. It's a lie they've heard and some, for some reason incorporated into their own belief system. It's become one of their core beliefs in most cases. And so they justify it on a daily basis. Yeah. And, you know, uh, so, Carol, you you owned an abortion clinic. Did you own more than one? You were a co-owner of more than one? I operated a total of four, and we okay. had two abortion clinics. We were in process of opening three more in the next year because 40,000 abortions would make me a millionaire. And we were surrounding the Dallas-Fort Worth area with abor- abortion facilities, bringing them in to the edge of Dallas, not bringing them in. We're bringing them in from all over the state in five states, different five different states. And so we just brought them to the edge of Dallas, had the abortion facility there. They could have their abortion and leave immediately. So you were in it for the profit, but you were also dealing with the pain of your abortion. Uh, You know, abortion is clearly a profitable business. It's an industry that makes millions of dollars, billions of dollars for that matter. Uh, That may not be the main motivation that people uh, involve themselves in the abortion industry, but it certainly is a very profitable type business. Uh, however, on the same uh, same level, the folks that perform the abortions are not typically the upper level physicians. That is, I mean, they're they're bottom feeders. They tend to be the lower rung of the medical profession. Was that your experience? Yes, and at the time I was in the industry, abortion clinics were completely unregulated. Now, to some extent, the pro-life movement has been able to move that to a higher level of regulation, but abortion clinics are still not regulated in any state at the same level as ambulatory surgical facilities. And so there are people, the people that work there are willing to work at that lower level, even the front desk the counselors, and certainly the abortionists. The abortionists are, if you look at their records, many times they can't do any other surgical procedure. They can't, they're not licensed in many states. They uh, they travel by air. I mean, we have someone coming in from Hawaii into Texas to do abortions. I mean, wow. what happens if a patient has a complication? She can't take that person to the uh, hospital and follow through with medical care. She doesn't, she's not licensed to practice in Texas or she's not a, a 
on the hospital staff. So what do you what do you do with all that? They're just butchering women and leaving them. So let's take uh, let's go inside an, an abortion center. When you were operating abortion clinics in Dallas and surrounding areas, uh, what was it that changed your mind? What was it that got you to say, I'm no longer going to be involved in this and give up your vision, your goal of being a millionaire? Something we're, happened, obviously. Yes, <laughs> we were expanding. And in that expansion, okay. we brought in a person that we were introduced to as a business counselor who was to help us get those th next three clinics open in a year, which was going to be a phenomenal task. And uh, we needed everyone working together and everyone inside the abortion clinic fights, doctors, nurses, counselors. No one gets along. It's chaotic. Mm. And um, mm. so we brought in this business counselor who was a very strange man. I'd never met anyone like him, but um, he told us he could solve our problems by meeting with each of the leadership an hour a week for four weeks. Well, you know, I didn't care what that man charged us. We were going to, I was going to be a millionaire on the other side. And we started meeting and I started interviewing him. What are you doing in here? Who are you? And uh, are you a preacher? He said, yes. And I said, what are you doing in this situation? And he said, God sent me. Mark, I thought the man was crazy. Yeah. I told him quickly, you know, I'm a Christian. I have a Bible in the top right hand drawer of my desk. I want you to know I tithe on all this money. I pray every day. I didn't tell him I prayed there'd be a lot of abortions and I prayed none of those women would be injured that day. But um, he didn't stop there. He just listened to me. And then he said, you know, Carol, God loves you. He loves you and he knows you can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't get yourself to heaven. But he made a way of escape for you by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. And by a simple act of faith, in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, your life can change. Would you like to pray that prayer? Mm. I'm going to be honest with you. I prayed that prayer to shut that man up because, mm. I, you know, I thought I controlled my whole world at that point. But he prayed this prayer, and I must pray it is, Dear God, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of my sins. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. Reign on the throne of my heart as Lord and Savior. Make me a worker in your vineyard. Amen. I never heard anything like that. I got up. I shook his hand. I laughed all the way back to the abortion clinic. Vineyard. Does he think I was going to leave this money and go to the valley and work in a vineyard? You know, didn't understand what that was at all. But when I walked in, something was different. The women were all crying. I'd never seen that before. I started taking them back to my office and talking them out of having abortions. And at the end of that day, I was not saying, isn't this great? I saved wow. 25 babies today. I didn't look at it that way. I, I said, okay, three babies didn't die today, but I was very confused and fell to my knees and prayed, Lord, if there is a Lord, if this is not where you want me, hit me over the head with the two by four. And the two by four was that we were caught attempting to do abortions on women who were not pregnant by the wow. media. And that, that was my answer to prayer. 27 days after that pastor came in and said, we'd be leaving in 30 days. And I was the one that walked out the door with it. Oh, that's crazy. The, you know, Jesus Christ came into your life and changed everything. That simple prayer of faith, um, you, know, you know, salvation changed everything for you just in a moment that I guess you were able to see what you were doing. Again, my guest today is Carol Everett, and she's the author of Blood Money, uh, Getting Rich Off of a Woman's Right to Choose. She also heads up the Heidi Group, which we're going to be talking about here in the second half of the program. Uh, and Carol has overseen over 35,000 abortions, uh, the death of one woman. I'd like to get into that as well. 
and uh, women, you know, having surgery because of failed abortion attempts. Uh, so, Carol, uh, you, you, you prayed the prayer, you came to faith in Christ, you walked out of the abortion center. But let's go back a little bit. You talk about selling abortions in the abortion clinics. Uh, you know, a lot of times pro-lifers are accused of mischaracterizing pro-choice advocates who operate these facilities by saying it's not really about money. They're not really attempting to make a profit. This is really about women and women's health care and freedom of choose and all of those good things. Tell, tell uh, our audience what you were doing in the abortion center to sell abortions to women. We had an unwritten goal of three to five abortions from every girl between the ages of 13 and 18. Mm -hmm. And so we knew that sex education sells abortions. So we would, I went into the schools, we had others that went into the schools and we would tell the kiddos that we were there and that, you know, their parents didn't understand them. Their parents would tell them not to have sex. Their parents would do all these things. But what we started doing was breaking down the natural modesty as early as kindergarten by asking them, what their parents said to call their private parts. They all had a different name. So by the end of that time, when three or four children had different names, it was clear to the children that their parents didn't know what they had, but we were the experts. Then we moved to the first, second, and third grade, calming them down and telling them to look at their own private parts and, and expecting change just from that because we were breaking down the morals and we were breaking down all of them. Um, the parents' rules of the things that they've been taught at home. And by the fourth and fifth grade, they're really starting to experiment, but we would encourage them to masturbate. Literally, the abortion mm -hmm. industry, Planned Parenthood, encourages them to masturbate in the mm -hmm. fourth and fifth grade alone and in groups of four or five of the same sex. What is the what lifestyle is that leading to? And then in the fifth and sixth grade, we were ready to pass out condoms. We were ready to prescribe birth control pills if they could get into the clinic. And when they came to the clinic, we gave a low dose birth control pill that had to be taken accurately at the same time every day if it was going to protect from pregnancy. And of course we knew teenagers didn't do that. So they would take the pill, They would their sexual activity would go from zero or once a week to five to seven times a week. They thought they were protected, they didn't take the pill accurately, the pill didn't work, there's the pregnancy. The so you were doing things, I mean, you were actively doing things to help women get pregnant, basically. So they would come to you for their abortions. Yes, yes. The abortion industry actively reaches out. Look at what Planned Parenthood says and all their information about what they do with teens. They are actively reaching into the schools and touching our children and, and leading them down paths that parents certainly would not participate in. And what they do is they get the kids to laugh at their parents and their values. The kids are not going to go home and tell the parents what happened. They're embarrassed. And if they come to school, of course, that embarrasses a child. So there is no way that the parents are finding out everything that's happening in that classroom. So what would you say when a woman comes in? You say in your book often that it, throughout the book that they would come in and ask you if it's a baby. How there, would you guys answer that question? Because obviously, if you say it is a baby, then they're having an abortion. They're going to be killing their baby. What did you tell them? No, it's not a baby. It's a product uh -huh. of conception. It's a glob of tissue. Right. It's a blood clot. Yet we were going back into that room, taking the parts of the baby from the abortionist and reconstructing them to make certain every part had been removed. So you, were you part of that? 
Well, I oversaw that, so I was part okay. of that. So you, I mean, you saw the abortions. You saw oh, the babies. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And that didn't that didn't affect you. I mean, I <laughs> let me ask you, did it affect you? No, it didn't. I, I, I personally and told my staff, you know, we're helping this woman. We're helping concentrate on the woman. Yet mm-hmm. once a month, we were putting a woman in my car and transporting her to a hospital, not the closest mm-hmm. hospital, not the hospital that would take the best care of her, but to a hospital that would help us protect us from the public, from the media. Cover, cover up the abortion. Yeah. We were covering up abortions once a month for the last 18 months. One out of every 500 women was hospitalized for a hysterectomy, a colostomy, and one woman bled to death, died. Look, let's talk about the conditions inside your abortion centers. Uh, you know, we we see reports often about abortion centers being dirty and and unsanitary and all of that. Was that the case in your in your or was yours more professional, if you will? Well, we prided ourselves on thinking we were the minimum markets of the abortion industry. We actually said okay. that you know, we sterilized instruments, except on a day when you had 50 and you couldn't and you had 21 sets of instruments and you couldn't turn them fast enough and get them cool. You couldn't sterilize them, cool them and get to the abortionist so he could use them that many times. And on those days, you just dipped them in Sidex, which is a sterilizing uh, liquid, but you couldn't leave them as long as it said we weren't using completely sterilized instruments on a busy day. Carol Everett's my guest, and you can go to uh, HeidiGroup.org to find out more about her current work, and we want to turn to that. But I do have one more question for you uh, about your past in the abortion industry. Back in the day when you were uh, a co-owner of an abortion franchise, there weren't a whole lot of regulations. There are today. Uh, there's debate um, in, within the pro-life movement as to whether these regulations do save lives, number one, and are they a good uh, strategy or technique, tactic, if you will, to actually getting to the point where we might be able to eventually outlaw it. In other words, regulating abortion, do they save lives? Do they really affect and hurt the abortion industry? And is it a viable uh, tactic to bring about full legal protections for the unborn, because we all want eventually this to be against the law. How would you answer that? Well, that's a long question. I know Uh, it is. First of all, in 1997, we regulated abortion clinics in Texas, and they went from 82 to 42. Mm -hmm. Half of them were not willing to meet the minimum standards, and they were minimum standards. They were not ambulatory surgical facility standards. So Mm -hmm. I believe there is some and that's only when you're certain that your health and human services is going to inspect them, that there's going to be some follow-up because abortionists lie. They tell women it's not a baby. They kill babies. They're not going to follow the laws unless you force them to. So if you can be certain that your health department is going to follow through, that's a great strategy, but we have never reached the ambulatory surgical facility standard completely in any Mm -hmm. one state. Some of them had it, have it, but there will be, Uh, exceptions to every part of it. And that's where we need to go. If they're having cert, this is still the most commonly performed surgical procedure, second only to circumcision. It affects a woman's health present and future. It needs to be regulated as any other surgical facility procedure. My guest again is Carol Everett, and uh, she's written a book called Blood Money, uh, Getting Rich Off a Woman's Right to Choose. And she's also the head of Heidi Group, And she's with me today, and we're talking about uh, her experience as an abortion clinic owner, franchise owner, co-owner, 
and what led her to do what she did, and then her conversion to Jesus Christ, and now being a strong pro-life advocate, uh, going around the country speaking to pro-life audiences. Uh, Carol, let's let's switch gears here a bit and talk about the Heidi Group, which is so you have the your history in the abortion industry, which you you, you walked out of the abortion center that day after coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And now you are a strong advocate for life. Uh, let's talk about the Heidi Group. What is it? The Heidi Group exists to help girls, women, and families choose life and then to heal if they've experienced an abortion. And so we want to be it's cutting in Texas, mainly, in, right? We're in Round Rock, Texas, just outside of Austin. Okay. And uh, we work, of course, in Texas and across the nation. And our goal was to replace the abortion industry with life-affirming health care and mm -hmm. standards. And so, of course, we work with pregnancy centers because they're the front line. And we were offering pro-life health care funded by the state. And we were uh, terminated for convenience, not for cause. They never would get uh, We had uh, 35 providers that were life-affirming pro-life providers across the state of Texas covering 72 counties. And they only would only count the state only counted 12 of our providers. They thought we they, we weren't meeting their standards. They accused us of misusing one and a half million dollars. And now they have just last week said, whoa, wait a minute. You don't owe any money. Um, Mark, I, we don't have time for me to tell you, but there was an inside conspiracy and there was an outside conspiracy. They told me in the beginning, you will fail and you will be discredited. I didn't think they could do it. But in a state like Texas, they came pretty close to putting a pro-life group out of business. Now, we're going back in the business and we're going back into health care and we're working hard to save lives. Because if you look at the Biden plan for the abortion industry, they want to cover every county, every parish in the nation. Our job as pro-lifers is to stand up in every county and every parish in the nation and stand up for what we believe. We've got to protect our children, our grandchildren from the ungodly practices they're teaching in our schools. And we've got to educate on the life issues so they understand that life begins at conception. Well, you are in the state of Texas, which, as we spoke offline, we have the sanctuary cities for the unborn. Uh, you've got more more cities that have come online there in Texas than any other state. And we are now beginning the process here in Ohio. We have our first sanctuary city for the unborn here in Lebanon, Ohio. So I, I think this is a, a strategy that's it's having impact and people are buying in and there's a whole lot of momentum behind it and it started in the state of texas so a lot of good things come out of texas and we'll be praying for your work there with the heidi group my guest today again has been uh carol everett and folks if you want to participate in uh fighting the evil of abortion i'm going to ask you to go to our website and click on the uh speaking uh link if you will uh, myself, Seth Dreyer, others in our organization are qualified and prepared to come to your church and speak on several topics, if you wish. We can deliver a sermon. Uh, I often do that on the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we can also just train your congregation in pro-life apologetics so that you will be equipped to deal with your colleagues, friends, family, and others when the issue, the topic of abortion comes up, you'll be ready and able to defend the preborn. So we have that as well. That's called Pro uh, Preborn Defenders 101. 
And we also go beyond that and talk about the general battle of ideas that's happening, the worldview issues that are happening in our culture. Uh, and so if you're interested, please invite us to come to your church, your area. We can train your young people or anyone else on pro-life apologetics. We can speak at your church, your Bible study, your prayer meeting, whatever you'd like. You can go to createdequal.org to find out more. So, Carol, we've got about a minute here. I'd like you to wrap it up. Your history here is, uh, you know, in the abortion industry provides you a unique opportunity and platform to speak to the nation uh, and those who have been trapped inside of this industry. If you would, uh, there are people listening within the sound of our voice that are probably involved in that or have been. What would you say to them? And then give us some words of encouragement as we face a very tough four years under the Biden administration. I would say to those who are listening here, part of the abortion industry, um, I've been there, I understand. And I know you have trouble sleeping at night. So I would like for you to look at Created Equal. Go to the Created Equal website. Go to the Heidi Group website. There is hope and help for you because you can be forgiven and you too can walk free. And you can join us. You can join Mark and his team as they tell the truth in their area and teach the truth. You can join the Heidi Group as we teach the truth where we are. It takes all of us. And for those Christians who are listening, it's our job. We are the ones that have to stand up. We're the ones with the truth. We're the ones that know uh, Jesus Christ was an unplanned pregnancy, and we've been sent a message. Thank you. Thank you for what you do, Mark. We appreciate you very much. Well, we appreciate you as well. Carol Evans has been my guest today. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.